Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dave and today we've got a very special episode that is uh, quite a few years in the making. Um, uh, a few years ago, I reached out to Roz, who was the at the time um, the Empress Imperatrix of the Empire. And um, at the time, uh, actually, Roz, I'll, I'll let you say. I'm here with Roz and Simon, and we're going to talk about. I'm Roz, and and I'm Simon. Um, you were very much engaged in. Well, just tell me, tell me who you are and what you guys have been doing in the Empire. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, we first came to Empire at the ninth, uh, eighth, the ninth game, um, and oh, a year and a half after that, I was my. I'm going to say I, you know, like one does this, you know, like I was elected um, as the first player character Empress. Um, Imperatrix is a title that I gave myself because PD said you can call yourself what you like. I was so going to ask did. actually because I've heard like I tend to call it the throne now that it's yeah. unseated. It te- seems to be like that's the lexicon I've developed. But like, is it's a maybe we can get down to like just the furry basics. What is? Hang on, we should introduce. Yeah, we Simon, introduce you. please. So, so, sure. We're uh, married. We're married. And have been for about 17 years. Yep. Uh, and I played uh, Severin Holberg, uh, Severin von Holberg, who was the Empress's closest advisor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, uh, these guys fed me, by the way, um, on arrival and treated me very, very well. But um, you do seem to be a, a very uh, capable team uh, working together. Um, so I can only imagine how those skills probably transferred into... We have got complementary skills. I mean, you know, diversity in teams. Absolutely. It works. Who knew? Mm-hmm. All right, let's get down to basics. What right. is what is the Imperatrix, the throne, the Empress? What, what is it mechanically? Let's, so let's start mechanically, there. it is the most senior position of authority in the Empire, um, as determined by the Constitution of the empire it the throne shall be elected by a majority of the senators constitutional it, majority constitutional same. majority and it oh, Simon's reaching for the constitution to have a look at the wording but you know it's it is a it basically is the person in charge although we're going to go back to that mm-hmm. what exactly in charge means it's an elected position, it's elected by PCs, and it is the position that has, and you can see the air quotes, the greatest voice in all the great houses of the Empire, that being it's Senate like a, and Synod. It's, it feels like a, a figurehead, it's presidential. right? Yeah, it's yeah. presidential, right? It's really interesting because it uses the language of royalty, but actually the design is much more presidential. The throne shall lead the empire and represent her in all things. It shall be a beacon to her people and a terror to her enemies. <laughs> Whenever the throne sits in the great councils laid out in this constitution, then their voice shall carry the greatest weight. There, there, there you have it. There you go. Um, maybe we can talk about some of the law stuff to do with... Maybe how the because I understand like we go the empire goes back to the first emperor or empress I think it might have been empress yeah right? the first empress so we're in 
you know, I don't. I've lost track. What year are we in now? 383. Three. No, we're three not. 385, three three aren't we? 385, terrible. See? Oh, dear. These, yes. these are top in their field, everyone. <laughs> they know exactly well, well, COVID, what's going on COVID, all COVID. the time. Yeah. Um, so the years of the empire date from uh, when the first empress took the throne. The empress that we don't know the name of. Um, there are in the history of the game, which is all on the wiki, there have been 19 throne holders of the throne since then. And then Lisabetta, my character, was the 20th empress and the first one to be elected during the game. So when Empire started, was that a NPC or was it just empty at that stage? Oh, at that stage, because in fact, the starting condition, you know, like as everybody turned up, and we weren't there at the time, so, but, you know, we, we've heard. Um, at the very first event, E1, um, Britta, the previous empress, had just died on the battlefield. Um, the setup was that she had taken, insisted, you know, like that everybody who had an imperial position needed to go onto the battlefield with her. <laughs> I mean, just go figure. You know, like either she... How you know, convenient. Like, um. <laughs> you want to do that for game reasons. No, and how, what a fantastic setup. But I must admit, you know, I did spend some time answering questions in Conclave once about what do you think about what Britta did? And you kind of don't want to um, criticise your predecessor. But what a stupid thing to do. It's very courageous yes. um, and ambitious, I guess. Um, not very wise or vigilant, though. So, Well, I think just plain dumb, really. Yeah. But fantastic, because at that point, all the seats, all the senators, all the cardinals, you know, everything. all the minor positions, everything was up for grabs. All the generals, no generals. Uh, so... Brilliant. So at that stage... And at that stage, there was no throne and I think no thought that anybody was going to elect one because because chaos. Yeah, and what was the... Because uh, we can talk about some of the... the maybe not... W- w- by the way, uh, as a big caveat for this episode, we are going to desperately try and navigate not talking about active game. Um, we're, we're all of us here. We've talked about it before the episode. We're all on the same page. We're going to do our damnedest to try and do that. We may fear in there, but hopefully we'll do our best. I'm but sure you can sort it out in post-production if we see That's future Dave's problem, and fuck that guy. Um, the um, So, at the moment, we don't have someone sitting on the throne. Um, I'm a senator, and I've had to, like, I've done one vote, which was very undecided. Now, what's interesting is this idea of... Does the Empire need someone on the throne? And was that something that was talked about? Or was it a given that we needed to elect a throne for that? I think that the... I'm going to talk about the position at as at Spring 380, which was when Elizabeth got elected. And the Empire was in a very different state then. There were well, There was a lot... There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot less, mm, I could call it maturity in governance, knowledge of how, the, how, how to run an empire. So foreign policy was in disarray. 
there were a number of different voices pulling in different directions between the the, the different houses. Um, and there were... A, Simon, would you... I always characterised it as the gears of the empire, the cogwheels, didn't mesh. So you had this friction or, you know, almost oppositional occasionally incidents between the great houses. Yeah. And there was also, I think, a bit of an information, a bit of an issue with information flow. Oh, yes. The information wasn't flowing between the Senate and the Military Council and Synod. You know, like, pretty much. I'm not saying at all, but it wasn't great. Um, we're not supposed to talk about active gain, so we'll uh, we'll move on from that. But right. um... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it was worse. Yeah, okay. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the... I find it... Um, it's one of the things I found really interesting when I first started playing the game was this idea that one player among all these thousands of players is going to be elected to this position and be that thing. And I think there was a, like... From my point of view, there was a... It, it was a, just, a, just a cool idea that one person would take on that responsibility. And you... I, I had the pleasure of seeing you a couple of times. I saw you coming to uh, Navarre one time and everyone was very upset with you at the time, but you 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 stood there with grace and poise and, and majesty and it was like you were the empress of this uh, of the of the empire and it really had like a I don't know, it and this is purely anecdotal from my point of view. I loved that. I thought there was something really special about it that now we we don't have, and I think it'll be. I think it's a great honor and responsibility to actually take on that role. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the responsibility because you eventually did step down from the position. Mm. Could you maybe talk about the? This is a very open question, but like some of your responsibilities. And how you took that on when you when when you first started and how it maybe grew. All right, I think that we need to split this yeah. between what are the responsibilities as you know, like set out in the constitution, so in character in the game, and what I we thought that the position should do. I mean, to be honest. In the Constitution, you've got to be an inspiration to your people and a terror to your enemies. And there's not really a recipe for doing that, is there? Um, that, that's a hard skill. Yes, and not a lot of guidance. But so maybe... I'm thinking about it. All right, how I thought we should approach it. I thought, thank you very much for what you said about, you know, like portraying the 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 empress you know as a being with with majesty there's a lot of like duck paddling going on below the surface but that's 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 yeah. all role play like mm. I, i've played characters where i've been like i've been like uh, oh you were so badass in that moment and me underneath the character mm. is 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 like you said like a, a duck with the legs paddling away underneath but like um, the, the irony that we don't get to enjoy our own RP sometimes is, is quite interesting. Um, well, well I th- at that point, at that time, I thought the responsibility, when I got elected, I thought the responsibility of the throne was to 
prevent cock-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, and cock-ups can be lateral cock-ups, and that's what I mean by that is mismatches between what military council are doing and what Senate are doing and what Synod is doing, because one of the key abilities of the throne is to be able to move and speak in 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 all of these great councils. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's really important to mention. As a senator, I can't go to military council. Like, I literally mm. have to stand outside and wave, and then hopefully the person I want to speak to will come out and say hello. But, like, I find that a really... I, I love it. I think it's a really nice mechanic. Um, I think, like you were saying... Mm-hmm. Someone that can move between those spaces and speak for authority is is significantly lacking, right? Yeah, I mean, it, coming back to the thing about responsibility, that's quite a lot for any one player. Mm. Uh, I think your first event as Empress, we'd worked out it was something like somewhere between thirteen and seventeen hours of you know just scheduled in game. Oh, so if you turned up to all the meetings, that was you know, that was going to be about fourteen hours yeah. of meetings. Yes. So that's the what. Um, but in terms of responsibility, coming back to the, the great houses and the moving the information between them, because you've got not only, A, the ability to be in all of them, but secondarily the... The ability to speak and be a focus. Yes. But I know... And having a pretty high level of power, it varies from house to house. Yeah. We'll go back to what power, mm. <laughs> so-called power... Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was saying partly it's lateral mm. problems and the, and partly it's longitudinal problems. And by that I mean being the institutional memory because it's a position that is elected for life and I think that's actually quite an important part of it. Mm. So I could give an example of that. I mean, it's dipping into what you know, like what happened during Elizabeth's reign. I think we're going to do that. So I'd oh, say yeah. just, just no, tear the plaster no, no, off. And... Go so there was a situation in the Mornwald in the marches, where in order to prevent an insurrection, a particular ritual needed to be interdicted and remain so. <laughs> And remain so for a number of years. And I can't remember how many years it was, but it was at least three... It might have been five. Three, three years. Five. Now, that's... The memory of the player base well, isn't very long, but that's one of the things that Lisabetta took on her, herself, is to remember that that needed to be in place um, and take the marches part... Because, to be honest, there was a big red button there. You know, it's a nice big PD-branded button which goes, um, into, you know, like uninterdicted rivers, rend- r- rivers run red, press here for civil war. Um, and as my character, I didn't particularly want to have that button pushed. Mm-hmm. Not least because probably it would end up being my fault. Well, it sounds more like a, a button that's got a timer on it so you have to push the button of, is, is it lost that has that as, as a yeah, you yeah, keep yeah, pushing yeah, the yeah, button every, to stop the thing yeah, from yeah exactly right um yeah um how did you find interacting with the because you said you had so many meetings how did you find interacting with those different bodies when you were when you were trawling around trying to do your thing like sitting in senate and oh, sitting in Senate is the best thing ever. Um, 
the first time I walked in and sat on that throne, it is, you know, it was worth the the year and a half of trying to get there because it is a brilliant, brilliant feeling. Um, I'll just take an aside to say the physical throne itself is really uncomfortable. It's made for a giant. <laughs> it is made for a giant. Yes. Yeah. So, but you can't look as if you're uncomfortable because I tell you what, you know, like the vultures are always circling and any sign of weakness, they'll be in there. Uh, so I did perfect a way of sitting on the throne with one of my legs tucked underneath and the other one like pressed into it so that I could sit there perfectly serene and calm and not be thinking, crikey, my calves are really aching. Yeah, you know, my like, butt is... Yeah. Yeah, but cushions, no, not going to do cushions either. Sort of, because I felt in character that the throne should be uncomfortable. You said to sit that on. to several And this is, yes. this is why yeah. I'll never be emperor, because I'm going to bring a you cushion to that. I'm a, a cushion, I'm a cushion sort of guy. You know, you know? what will happen is, is that cushion and that footstool would then be the source of... Can we nick the cushion? Or curse the yeah, cushion. Yeah, curse the or, cushion. Yeah. Or, or scrawl something on it. And do you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because humans. Yeah, I mean, you had a whole, you had a thing. Yes. Um, the presentational look of it had to buy into people's, not just, you know, characters, but people's actual mental image of what is a throne. What does a head of state, what does a queen you know, because we're, majority yeah. of us are English. What does that actually look like? So you work, you worked very hard I think presenting the, that. Yeah, the stillness. I tried not to speak too much because words have power. The less you use them. Oh, uh, just to dip into powers of the throne. Um, the throne has the power to veto any Senate motion. I'm, I'm not sure how well understood this is. And how often do you get to do that? Every single one. Every session? No. Every single motion. Really? Yes. Okay, if you This don't was know. the most misunderstood power. Uh, at least three or four sitting senators Absol- at the time. Yeah, well, I'm not one. Right, so I'm not as, the throne, that, so. as the throne, you could sit there and just go, no, no. And no to you, and no to you, and no to you. I mean, how long you're going to last is another question. And also, you know, again, powers are have more value if you use them as rarely as possible. But did, little, did you veto anything? Uh, yes, over yeah. I think over Elizabeth's reign, she vetoed three things. Mm. And one of them was an announcement. I think, oh gosh, I think it was an announcement by the Urizen Arcane Architect. And the reason it was vetoed is because I think we were short of building slots at the time. Yep. And so I c- she can veto announcements as well, or the throne can veto announcements. And, do you know, I can't remember. I think it's because we were short of, as I say, short of building slots and he hadn't come and talked beforehand so that that was going to be a problem there was the well-known case of the singing caves which was a seat Mm. a march's seat which when it was recaptured there was a question about whether it was going to go imperial 
or whether it was going to go national. It had previously been imperial. Yes, it, and the marchers obviously very, very much wanted it to go national. And one of Elizabeth's policies was that the the fact that the seats are sold on the bourse, it gives the Senate power. Okay, we, we had a brief conversation before yeah. this and it frankly blew my mind. So I think it's worth kind of going over in in very clearly what you're talking about. Uh, actually, why don't I try and explain it to you? Absolutely. And then we'll Go see if it. I understand it, okay? So you have your bourse seats and mm. they are... Um, they're bid on by private citizens and you can buy resources and then use those resources for whatever you want to do. And then, you know, usually takes people combining their money. You can only hold one ball seat at a time. Now, those ball seats can become national seats, which um, they can be elected away or however that nation chooses to elect that position rather than making money for the bourse and the only way that the senate make money is from bourse elections and from taxation yeah and um, taxation is taxation is a, like an abstraction layer so there are yeah two two sources broadly two yeah. sources of money uh, and taxation senate. can be um uh, go up or down depending whether armies are invading that area or things like this okay um but what's what I found, and this is the thing that truly terrified me, is the upkeep on things is paid for by the the Empire. Senate. Senate. Mm. Um, and when those seats become national seats, you're not only not earning the revenue from the bourse, but you're also still having to pay for the seat despite not having any money coming from it and it going purely into private citizens. That is correct. I mean, it's only a couple of thrones a time, which is nothing really compared with like 50 thrones a season for an army, but but there, there you have it. I, I am a summer child who did not understand how any of this worked, and it's it's quite scary seeing how broke the Senate is in my brief weekend of having to go and do this stuff um it's really interesting um and i'm not into economics in it by any stretch um but it is a very interesting thing and i have a lot more sympathy for the for the mint now um that poor person. so the senate never used to be broke it wasn't broke at the beginning of the game yeah yeah i it's a testament to the depth and complexity in empire that you can build quite a lot of spreadsheets and quite a lot of charts to kind of map out how things have progressed and you can do trend predictions and all that good stuff i think it's interesting because when we talked about it i'm like uh, i've always been a fan of um and i think this is very much an oc feeling as well which is this idea that national seats are good because it levels the playing field significantly so someone with a, a fair amount of gumption can get enough votes and become that thing now, on, an econ- on, a, on a player level, this sounds great, right? You don't need 50 frames or more to be able to buy a ball seat. But on the game play actual level, it's massively detrimental to the uh, financial health of the Empire, which I find mind-blowing as a, as a concept, you know? Um, 
Let's not let's not dwell too much in the bankruptcy. No, of the that's Empire. That, that's that's a totally um, different podcast. It is an interesting thing though that the only I think the only character in the game who has a genuine responsibility to imperial economics is the throne. They can choose to ignore it if they like, if they want to be the throne. I'm not even sure that and you see nobody's got any responsibility. Yeah, I really. that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a deep comfort to all of us. Um, yeah, let's go through some more responsibilities and kind of how you as a team took that on and, and, and started to develop that over your time. All right. Um, so looking at the, the information flow, the first thing that Elizabeth did was establish the imperial offices. So I don't know if you've been to the imperial offices. They never used to exist. Um, in fact, it was the then Senator Hercinia um, who raised the motion at Elizabeth's They're request. They're all good. They're all good, the Hercinia <laughs> to, senators. Yeah. yeah, really good people, all of them. To, to get it established. Um, and what established meant was PD provided us with a tent. And when I say us, I mean, you know, like... Simon, me, you know, like House of Seven Mirrors, the, you know, like the inner circle that really wanted this to happen. Um, and we acquired a whole set of furniture, mm. you know, like folding chairs and so on and, and tent dressing. And that was where Elisabetta based herself. So actually, we, we could detour into... Yeah, so, so in terms of the mechanics of the setup, you know, how, how do you do that as thrown we were kindly given permission by pd to actually have our icy tent as well in the center for the house of seven mirrors which was our extended group uh, and that enabled us to set up the imperial offices where it is now and then opposite we had our emperor. we had got a big emperor bell which was our group tent and then i've got a separate tent which was like the for Elizabeth herself. And what that meant is that instead of having to traipse up and down the hill, up and down the hill to the league, which, oh, that would have like half broken me, you know, doing it all, or I'd never have got there. And it also sends the message that the throne is the throne of all the nations, not, mm. not belonging to, not, not necessarily focusing favouritism-wise on one particular one. Now, a different throne might want to do it differently. They might want to base themselves in their own nation. Um, I don't think I've got the physical stamina to do it. It's one of the, it's one of the hardest things uh, no one really mentions before you become a hat wearer is the sheer... If you, wanted, if you want to do things and make mm. things happen, you, the... the it, all the political ramifications and the, and the bartering and all that stuff is one thing. The miles you have to put in trying to find people or have it's it's genuinely like quite hard to do at times, especially when you're tired, you know. And and the offices was partly a way to slightly offset some of that and also there was quite a wider team. Actually Simon, could you maybe go over because the um the offices are still in play. Yep. So maybe you can explain what they do. Um I can say I'll, I'll explain what they did then, I think, because what they do now is within the purview of other other players. Certainly at the time um, the intent for the imperial offices was to serve as a sort of centralised information hub to assist the throne in the pursuance of her duties and to also act as a space where particularly ambassadors um, mm. but other imperial titles could 
operate and have access to useful information and material and actually just a place to work. So from a logistics perspective as well, what that enabled the, the wider team to do is when the Empress was like being the Empress and on duty, so to speak, she was in the Imperial offices, there was a setup there, there was kind of a whole audience thing that could happen there. And then just across the way was a slightly more private space or a space for more private conversations, the Prince's mm. Chamber. So that just took out some of the miles, as, as you said, but and the purpose of the offices was to kind of facilitate the information flow. So we gathered a lot of information as well. So actually, going back to foreign, the ambassadors. So I don't know whether the seven o'clock ambassadors meeting still takes place. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was instituted... That, that had been instituted just before Elizabeth got on the throne. Um, and it gave a place for that to happen. Shall I talk about the whole Berg Reckoner? Yeah, I think that's right. a, it's an interesting illustration of... of, of nudging. Of nudging and yeah. how you... So we didn't... There was no overall strategy uh, when Elizabeth was elected on how to approach the foreign nations... So it was all happening, you know, like ad hoc. And very often, of course, it would, you know, ambassadors or our foreign policy would butt heads because, as you know, having been an ambassador, you know, like Commonwealth and Yarm, you know, like, really? You can pick one or the other. And if you blow hot and cold all the time, we end up in a worse position. So I think one of the first things I did was I, you know, I created, I said, I had a, I created a prop beforehand, um, which was a grid, you know, on leather paper, sorry, on, on leather, um, and some nug, glass nuggets and some little pieces of wood that you could write with chalk on. And had blackboard paint. And blackboard paint. I said, and I gave it to the ambassadors and I said, right, can we work out what are like the three top... Um, attributes what are the three things that we care about for foreign policy and I think we decided it was slavery and attitudes to orcs and physical proximity yeah might be something else as an ex-ambassador, I would disagree with those three yeah. points, but um, uh, I wasn't there, so it I wasn't the time. I, I mean, that was no, 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 it wasn't. It was the way. It was, the way. It was religion You're as well. Right. Anyway, hmm. and I so, said, right, okay, you're the ambassadors. Now, you know, like list them out and then place your little glass globs and, you know, like rate everybody. It was basically, it was a best fit analysis, mm. you know, like in a field. And Lizard Better didn't just left them to it. But it was on that basis that they were then able to rank the nations that we most wanted to be friends with and the ones where actually we wanted to move away from them. So I don't think that... Maybe it was starting to happen, but being the throne actually gave one the authority to be able to say no, or the leadership or the influence, whatever, and to say, actually, can we just do it this way? And again, coming back to the longitudinal mm. thing, you can then keep it consistent. That's interesting. So you're to blame. Um, for... <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, <laughs> do you know, I think I said earlier in, in our chat, um, leaders are interesting, aren't they? So in terms of, you look at British history and this queen did that, this king did that, and you think, did they really? Was it the enormous team of people under their leadership who kind of pushed actually, things in a particular actually direction? Actually, did that, but it's always the leader who gets a lot of the credit and gets the blame. I think that's how it's interesting because I, I think that's a, a really interesting point because I think that's one of the main criticisms for a lot of how we how we view history was that um, it's the, uh, the the great man theory of history, right? Where it's not like. Alexander the Great was Alexander the Great, but that didn't really explain that he had like a Macedonian army that was absolutely top notch with a whole bunch of generals that were really good. And it's a lot more nuanced than that, or, or the political nature of the people that he invaded, for example. Um, but yeah, I find that interesting. How um, I personally couldn't even imagine the responsibility of that. Even in the small jobs I've done at Empire, have been like man like people will let you know that they want something from you um actually here's an interesting thing that i'm coming to think about in my job as a senator is a lot of my job is not necessarily doing the thing that people ask me to do it's to facilitate those people to go and do that thing and me to help them along achieve their ambitions as much as my own, if that makes sense. And doesn't that, if you've ever, you know, like studied any real life management and leadership theory, is all relevant. Right, okay. I yes. haven't, but that's, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought made a good throne, is being, is, you know, like clearing the obstacles out of the way so that the really good people could get done what they needed to to get done. Mm-hmm. Empire is a game of individuals and it's like set up as a game of individuals but what's it saying? So but you can't do everything yourself. But I mean again I think that's by design. Yeah. Um, it's, it's intended that group effort makes a difference and certainly from the perspective of making a throne a viable position there is considerable team underneath yeah uh, we have a we talked about um we mentioned yes minister uh before with humphrey who explains uh the situation to the minister and then the minister makes a decision on those sort of things and i've i've likened myself sometimes to a um like an american governor sometimes where i am kind of clueless but like I have a, a, a kind of gauge on what's going on and then other people tell me things and I make a decision an informed decision of what a lot of other people are telling me like my team other senators general figures in the, the empire is that do you ha, that's how, totally how it worked on a bigger level shall I mention the cabinet meetings I think I think yeah but to, to caveat that because we produced the Anvil Almanac, which was a distillation of the entire Windsor Fortune, Windsor Four, plus a bunch of other stuff that we came up with as well. And because Roz edited it down, you knew it all. Did we, Did actually, did you know about, was the Anvil Almanac, were we still publishing that when you started? I don't know. Right, what it, I'll, I'll take a step backwards yeah. then. 
So, yeah, I did think that the way that we played the game, the way that I played the game, I did need to know at least broadly what was happening in all areas of the game in terms of the at least the plot, the, the winds of fortune, the winds of war that were being generated. I mean, that's partly in order to be able to keep the whole thing in my head and work out what was going to conflict. Um, it's partly because I really enjoy keeping the whole thing in my head. Um, and it's partly because there are always going to be detractors who try and catch you out. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of defensive self-briefing as well. And then we'd worked out during the the throne race that we needed to do that. And then thought, right, we know all this. Why don't we actually try to make a minimal amount of money out of it and actually provide a public service um, and publish and publish it? And, and so that's what we did. At pretty much every event, well, actually... Every event. Every event. Apart from one where the Winds of Fortune came out so too late too for late our us to be able to do. We used to take all the Winds of Fortune that was a close and point. distill it down to about a tenth of its size. Mm. Um, and, you know, like bullet point it. And also there was a list of the complete titles so that you knew who, who, who had which position so you knew... Um, who you would need to go and talk to. That's really good. Yeah. That's it very was, handy. It was an enormous, enormous amount of work. I would have said that it would, between us, it it was about 20 hours each, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it gradually crept up because the winds got kind of yeah. more complex and a little longer as well. And we actually also foolishly started to bring in a little bit more information we had again. Sensibly. And and we got help, you know, like so Amy used to play Liesl, the previous Master of the Mint, mm-hmm. uh, did absolutely sterling work. On, She's brilliant. Yeah, on the commissions and on the economy. I find it interesting that when I see we're about a week away, I won't give what day we're on, but it's about a week away from E2. And it's like, um, I haven't started reading. I've, I've, I've glimpsed the Winds of War and the Winds of Fortune like mm. on a very loose level. Because I'm the same. I need to... Once I start, then I kind of have to keep juggling those balls in my head um, up until the event when I can actually do it. So I haven't even started my prep yet, which will probably start when I get back. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of information. And that's even uh, parceling things off into... Okay, I know this is my remit of the area that I'm interested in, but trying to get a, a full-scale understanding of all the aspects I mean that's a lot of information that's so to come back to your point about cabinet this time at pretty much at this time yes so one of the ways going back to how to keep on top of the information and briefing so before an event the weekend before every main event um, I used to run a very small round about 10 person player event in this house Mm. for the the closest advisors um and including that is we had a meeting you know like everybody brought the information it was the most tightly chaired meeting you've ever been to you know like it had to be far because we got about three hours to get through everything um everyone had two items that they could bring up yep and you've then got a core of people who 
actually also have an overview of everything that is going on. I love this. This is I love how this scales. Like uh, I'm doing this on a much smaller level, and I have my little team, and basically we go through stuff, and I'd be like, "Here's thing that we should be interested in uh, that we need to think about. Here's the information that I know about it. How are people thinking about it? And then we have a big old conversation about it, and then basically I'll probably give my two cents in it. But mm. it's funny how those things kind of scale. I. I I'm terrified by the idea of, 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 of having to do that with on a, on a much larger scale, but I'm, I'm assuming with a good team, it makes it easier, right? I think it's worth saying that, because I don't want to give the impression that any other throne would have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I thought needed I needed to do the way I wanted to play the throne, which was to be, to govern the empire from a position of knowledge and to do it well. But also, this, what I said about there's a much higher level of maturity. There are more people who know more about what is going on now. And I don't think another throne necessarily would have to do the same thing. No, I, think I think it's also interesting that the game has a, is evol- always evolving and always changing. So the situation that you found yourself in when you first took on the throne was not the same situation as when you left the throne, right? Um, and therefore, anyone that's coming in now is going to face an entirely different, mm. probably, set of, you know... I'll tell you what it felt like. Mm. It like, felt like being the CEO of a startup. You mm. know, where you've got to do everything yourself, or at least you've got to at least know what's going on, everything, and it's all tactical, and there's a lot of firefighting. And then I think, so I'm looking at Simon, after the about last, two, th- two, two years, years yeah. that last year, uh, the throne position, I was able to move into much more of a strategic direction type role. And there you are, it's, it's me sounding like sort of work, management, leadership again, but it's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can tell you about the... the and the reckoning? No, actually, I was, um, the calendar... The time oh, timetable. Oh yes, so we worked out what before every event, and here, here I am showing our podcast host a timetable. Yeah, it's pretty we, full. We had to work this out, but for oh Jesus! <laughs> right, why he's going? Oh Jesus! I think it's because it is divided into fifteen-minute slots, all the way through from time in until time out in fact it kind of goes even past time out because that's when i got my fun in fun role playing and actually this is quite a late one so So it's not too bad they're not not too bad because there are blocks that are a whole hour at a time it used to be like much bittier the first one was 15 minutes minutes. yeah this this it's this the game is just so rich and fantastic i think also like uh you know, I think when you're first starting to play uh, Empire, like you, there's so many things going on, but you experience like little bits as you go through it. Mm-hmm. I think the more when you start moving up this this kind of chain of authority and responsibility, um, it, like the game changes the way you view it. It's it's a I, I I can't quite put it into words how my perspective on what Anvil is has changed dramatically. Like Even when we're talking about stuff like we talked about earlier about the economics of the empire, these are things that I really don't understand or know anything about. Um, and as you learn about these things, it, it, like, um, it changes your perspective on what the reality of what 
is happening in the empire um like you might be like oh why can't we just have a thousand friends to make a new army and then we'll go and crush our enemies right on a really simple level then you go like oh well we need to raise that army up so we're going to need some resources to do that then you go on to like well it needs to have uh upkeep and if it gets damaged in any way you have to pay for it to be resupplied and a whole bunch of other stuff right then it becomes this incredibly bureaucratic machine <laughs> that you need to kind of keep running while also trying to get it to a place where you want it to go this is the only game i know where you can legitimately play a procedural and constitutional expert mm. <laughs> oh so here here hark the enthusiasm in his voice no it's <laughs> the the bureaucracy i'm finding like I'm also like there's there's a there's a certain level of like it, it depends on this all sounds really intimidating but there's a certain level of how much do I want to engage with that right like if you're a, if you're a, a general for example you can sit around military council you can have all these big conversations arguments about what's going on. at the end of the day you say my army is going to go here and do this that that is like you can yep. boil it down to you can make it as complicated or as simple as you want me as a senator. I have one motion and I have one second. Okay, that that's that that's all it is. That's as simple as it gets, right? Like, um, shall we talk about the powers, powers of, of the, the throne? throne? Yes, you, I'm sure you'd love to know about. The let's powers get into of the it. Throne. Let's get into so, it. So let's see. Everyone, what, brew a coffee. We're going right, to get into it. So, what you can do in Senate now? Yes, you and Simon, you were always much more on top of this than I was. So I'm going to let you lead on this. Okay, so Senate. We just go with Senate. So we've talked about um, vetoing everything. Mm-hmm. That, so that's a thing. Uh, the throne can uh, address the Senate once per summit, so they can make a Senate address, which is which a I always whole thing. used to do. Yeah. Even if it was just this is the direction that we're heading in. It's also a chance for some truly brilliant and hilarious speeches as well. So there's that. Um, and they're obviously a member of Senate, and then there is Hand of the Chancellor. Okay. So what Hand of the Chancellor is, it is the ability of the throne to take up to a third of the Senate budget for their own use. Uh, How often do you get to do this? Every summit. Well, the thing is, there used to be a lot more money around. I was going to say, a third of the budget would literally bankrupt us at this stage. Oh, a third of the residual budget. Oh, okay. And so, so it did depend when the throne took it, because... I tell you what, you had to get hand to the Chancellor in there, like... Six Im- o'clock? Immediately, no, no immediately um, as Senate started, because otherwise all the money would have been spent on, on commissions. Yeah. So I didn't take hand to the Chancellor for about the first year... I think, because there wasn't a need. And also, I believe that you're much better off not going in heavy and using all your powers at once. You know, like, get people used to it. Um, And then we talked about this earlier. Uh, Elizabeth thought there was going to be a a crash. And there was indeed a crash. The Weirwood seats fetched a lot less money than they thought they were going to. Um, And because she'd taken hand of the Chancellor you know, several hundred thrones and stuck it in her back pocket, there wasn't a disaster. So I was quite proud of that, having yeah. having, having realised that was going to happen. 
I don't think it's a mechanism without the throne for stopping it happening again. Is there um how do you how do you handle detractors and Yeah, who's saying what's she doing with all this money? Right. She's spread, she's spending it on to use to as Amy's term, kick it and bite. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's going up I, her nose. I, I mean Hand of the Chancellor is the mo- I think it's the most controversial other than perhaps military council, one of the military council powers, and the conclave dissolve conclave dissolve conclave. Yeah, right. I think people. Yes. Oh, you can dissolve conclave. Yeah. Oh, please dissolve uh, conclave. That might not be true no, anymore. I think they've. I think they've rewritten that one. But <laughs> yes, yes, you could. Uh, so, how did I handle detractors? Firstly, I knew that detractors were going to be there. So, bearing in mind, you have the legal constitutional ability to spend it on whatever you like. If you want to spend it on partying, you can. However, there are going to be detractors. And there are checks and balances. Yes. What Lizabetta did was keep meticulous accounts, also being a league prince, you know, like of every single, you know, like throne and crown and ring that was spent. And in fact, those accounts were hung up on the nail in the imperial offices for anybody to come and have a look at. Not that most people ever did come and have a look at it. It was just much easier to write editorials saying how terrible she was. To be fair, the several people who did write editorials had access to the accounts. Some characters who were detractors never accessed the accounts, so yeah. it varied. So they're probably still lurking around on the field somewhere, those accounts. Did anyone ever try and kill you? Uh, yes, twice. Uh, the second one I'm... The first time, it was a group called of heretics in Dawn called the Delusignons, and they tried to stab me while I was having some a very nice lunch, actually. Yep. Um, I mean, they were great. They yeah, really was, signaled it ahead of time. It was brilliant. Yeah, they were there. Um, and the second time, it was a not desperately well-executed assassination attempt and I st- so by by a Navari that doesn't sound right at all that doesn't sound like us um I, honestly I think that's my biggest fear is to be assassinated by incompetence that that is the the like that to be well to be killed by a, a substandard assassin would be I want it to be like um, like a mount, game of mousetrap, you know, all the different things that bounce off each other, and then I'm like, it was great. Oh, it here was we great. go. It now would have, it would have been. And the throne guard were really good. They are um, very good. They are very good. Uh, so, Maz, you know, like playing Donitska, yeah. you know, capturing the throne guard, she always used to um, make it absolutely clear that the throne guard is not a wall to stop people getting to the, the Empress. They're a net. And that worked really, really well. So, yeah, I, I mean, I knew that, as Lizabetta, that I needed and wanted to allow people to get close enough that they were likely to be able to stab me. But I was pretty sure that somebody would act to get me back up again. Mm-hmm. And that's what did happen. And, and Throne Guy was a great piece of game. And it had a whole look to it, which was lovely as well. What was the look? Um, They had the... Beautiful purple sashes with the, the emblem on it. Again, it's all part of that, making it look like it's a thing. 
Yeah, I was thinking about the the, the poor militia. But um, we invented the throne guard because they had to, you know, like because they they weren't there before Elizabeth took the throne. But I realised that you need something like the throne guard, you know, or the king's guard, or the because partly for the authority and majesty of the role, and partly actually to get the throne up if somebody decides to stick the knife in and partly also because it's an opportunity to let people in to the inner circle um, and see what actually happens I think from, that's... from a from an outer character point of view please come and have some of our games so and from an in character come and come and i am a human being yeah so one thing that i've kind of been really self-aware of in my jobs is generally like i've had a few assassination rumors around so people have been like following me around going to meetings and all this stuff like this and there's a big part of me that's like oh man am i just ruining people's weekends by them having to basically trog around and follow me everywhere i go and then like luckily they're all like no i love it it's great and it's like um Oh, cool. Well, I'm going to another meeting. Let's go. It's it's like... So what will always really matter to me is that whoever was looking after me from the throne guard could hear and could actually understand what was going on. Because mm-hmm. just standing at the door, that's no fun, is it? No. Um, I also like having having like a little crew really does add to your position as well. Like... I've always got a couple of I've got always got a scribe and a couple of bodyguards with me and it just adds to everything I'm doing. It makes me much more credible every time I go to a meeting, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think you had you had that. You had um, the the entourage which would be a uh, you know, uh, chamberlain uh, for me or Oh yes, the master chamberlain. That was a, a another position that we made up um because it needed to exist. And it was deliberately not an imperial elected position. So the Master Chamberlains, which, you know, like there were three or four, because there's you and... Um, Kellowa. Kellowa. Um, the main ones. And, you know, like a couple of others who stepped in. Yeah, Tristan. Their, their job was Imperatrix wrangling, mm. Empress wrangling. And what I mean by that is, here is the timetable. You need to... Get the Empress from one place to another. You, you can see that because this happens in real life, doesn't yeah. it? You know, like the one that leans in and goes, Imperatrix, you, you know, you've got five minutes. Is that all right? Um, delivers the briefings, you know, the just-in-time briefings. Such and such is coming towards you. This is what they want. You know, like this is, this here is pertinent information. That, oh, I need, my team needs to up their game. My, <laughs> pertinent information that you need. Um, Simon, what was it like being Master Chamberlain? It's great. <laughs> I mean, it was, but it's also fascinating because you have power via influence and proximity. Uh, so your game is very much given over to facilitation of this other person's you know, route through Anvil, but yeah, I thoroughly, and would, thoroughly and would it. people approach you to sway your opinion so you could sway Elizabeth's? Absolutely, all the time. Yeah, which was a, definitely a decision that they made. Um, yeah. Oh, I tell you what. Give you another example, which we could go in via what other powers mm. there are. The Synod powers, Dosa True Lao every season. Yep. Nice. The throne gets one. 
And so, because of course, the throne gets a Joseph Trulau from 601 onwards, Simon. There is a set of people coming to find you. So we built up a filter system where... Can we have your Lao, please? There was an initial person they needed to speak to. And if that person let them through it, got usually got to me as Severin. And then if Severin was like, actually, no, this is a pretty legit request. Okay, then you can convey them to the Imperatrix and basically say, we have someone here who would like to discuss true lab. Um, but you've got to filter it a bit. Because they could sometimes, I think the largest bit was maybe five or six different requests, and we kind of cut that down a bit. Did you uh, just to uh, go through it? Truliao um, is one of the mechanisms of our religion of the way. It can give you past life visions. Past life visions, yes. Did you did you do that? Yes, I did. I think it was about three seasons in, four seasons in. Yeah, Elizabeth had has had a past life vision. Was it like you're you're shoveling pig shit out of a, a somewhere? No, you know, she was a Dornish earl, um, and she gave um, that it was I think it was the time of Giovanni, and she had to decide whether to instruct her. I mean, all all this the the vision is publicly written up. I think Livy, Livia Cascade yeah. has has written it up. Uh, had to decide whether she was going to fight, whether the Dornish army was going to hold back and then sweep in and like take the credit and the glory, or whether they were going to fight with the other armies. So needless, you know, fight with the other armies. Um, yeah, she used to be a Dornish earl. Mm. That's cool. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to get my hands on Trillial, so uh, it's. Uh, it I, I think. It- Having gone through the process of talking to the gatekeepers, I think it's a thing that every player should, if they want to, have a have a go at going and talking to the gatekeepers. It's not really that important because I'm going to come Paragon anyway. So uh, <laughs> I've been dedicated now. I'm on my way. So uh, yeah, the um, yeah, I, I just want to go back inside to wait. You've got a team that are helping you facilitate you. My team want to buy one of those, you know, for toddlers with the little elasticated things so they can keep you on a, on a rope. Like, that's what my team want to do. Um, they also told a group of assassins my schedule and where I'd be. So probably need to have a nice. bit of a team, team meeting. We should know? probably talk about cultural sojourn. Yeah, cultural sojourn or cultural pilgrimage, mm. right? This okay. is something... So I was inspired to do this by two things. One is that um, Jude Reed, who made the coronation robes, also made me a Brushkin outfit. And I thought, ooh. And the second thing was, there's a scene in Henry V where Henry, before the battle, before the big battle, Shakespeare's Henry V, where Henry goes and talks among the soldiers, yeah, and you know, in disguise, and says, "And what do you think of this king, anyway?" But he wants to understand what his people are like. So I thought, right, well, this looks like a lot of fun. So, if about about the third event onwards, I used to put on the clothes of the nation that I was going to. And basically play hooky, you know, like... Saturday night, usually. Saturday night, usually late Saturday night. 
Um, the first time, the first time I did it, I went to Navarre, and I'd managed to leg it out of the side of the tent without the throne guard spotting me. And it was I was free, you know. After having her like every fifteen every fifteen minutes, and that's it. I'm free range, um, and I'm going to go to Navarre. And I'm oh, songs and stories. Oh, oh, it's later than that. Um, thankfully, Dunitska had spotted me and was trying to track me. And I was I was going like from shadow to shadow, because when I got into the woods, somebody challenged me claimed that I was a herald and I think I was about to end up in a ditch in Murder Alley somewhere. That must Uh, have been a very isolated incident, obviously. (laughs) Um. Yeah, Um, except thankfully at this point, Danitska turned up, um, claimed that it was her who'd been um, stomping about in the woods, allowing me to slip off. Into a friendly environment. Yeah, I think I went and hid in the Bracken songs. Uh, Yeah, so... What was it like? Did you did you did you get the lowdown on on the vibe from different nations? Like how yes, was that? Yes, because usually I was wearing a mask or in a hood, so I was hearing things. Occasionally, usually somebody did spot me. And there was this fantastic conspiratorial look, you know, as they realised, no, don't give me away. Yeah, in fact, they would then usually um, join in the join in the fun. Yeah, I did. Oh, I went to the marches once, and a a, a very drunken young marcher just went, "Hello, Betty," <laughs> head in hands. I'm not Betty, you know, like, oh, yes, I am Betty, the goat wife. You know? <laughs> oh, looks, you know, like, um, huge amounts of fun. Yeah, uh, okay, okay, let's um, let's start moving on towards the end of your reign, as mm. it were. Because you stepped away from the, the, the job. Mm. Can you maybe explain, if you're comfortable with... Why would why... I do that? Yeah, thing? I'm curious. number of reasons so the sheer amount you know I'm trying to pick what the most important reason are but there's quite a few jostling that's okay Uh, but but things like this are are really simple right I'd worked out that there was no very very early on that there is no way of retiring a throne you can't Mm-hmm. You know, you might think you can, but you're going to be. You, it would be invidious. You know, like you'd be there and always being consulted. Um, I know this because uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends, um, Emma, um, who she joined, she joined our group partly because she wanted to play, but very much because she was going to look after my health and my mental health because it takes a toll trying to be thrown. Um, and Emma used to be an NPC leader of one of the factions in the gathering, the Lorian Trust, for over a decade. So she also knew what it is to be a leader in a LARP environment. She retired her character and she was always being dragged back. So I knew I would have to go. And I wanted to go 
to make a good story. Also, do you know the saying, most politicians' careers end in failure? Yeah, well, if you go before people are expecting you to go, Mm. then they don't, and you get to control the end of the story yourself, and you get to make a fantastic story, and people miss you. Well, some people miss you. Some people are quite glad. I remember hearing about it, and there was like... uh, You know how the the kind of rumour mill is at Empire, where you hear... Mm. fragments of a story that's been regurgitated and told over and over again the story I heard was that you had gone into a different realm with you something to do with spiders (laughs) and oh this is fantastic watching this metamorphose is just fantastic and you had gone to speak to a herald or something and that you weren't coming back or something to that effect. Shall I give you the, given that it is Please actually do. publicly out? Yeah, I, I, I've heard, yeah, yeah. Right. The story's And Actually, just a bit of a preamble. Figuring out how to do it is really difficult because you can't just get yourself killed on a battlefield. Not after... It would make people at the throne guard look incompetent and I wasn't going to do that. Also, it's I, from... Like, it's be, really hard. Even be, it's really, be, yes. when, you're, when, you're, uh, when you have lots of friends and people really care about you, it's really hard to die. Like, people will... And then you don't want to take 20-odd people with you to kill yourself. Or get right? other people's characters blown yeah. up. You know, and and you were nails as well. Yeah, there was that. Yeah. Yes. Right. How they did it. So, Elizabeth was married to Yuha... The cave spider. Okay. Uh, of the circle of Zorgantash, um, who at the time was the Imperial Magus. Yeah, okay. Right? So on the Saturday night, do you know what a loud dream is? Just explain. You explain a loud dream. You, you played the priest. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so one of the things that priests can do is using ordinary Lao, they can give a problem of the way, a dream, a portentous or illuminating dream using a dose of that. It's a fairly sta- it's a standard pre-skill, it's part of the dedication skill. Right, so that's one part of the puzzle, loud dream. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the puzzle was there is a night ritual which allows you to go into the dreamscape, whatever that may be. So we put the two together. As... The in-character reason was a pilgrimage to try and get new insights, but I'm talk- talking about how the mechanics of how, how we did it. So, Yuha had taken the priest's skills, and he gave Lizabetta a Lao dream, but using true Lao. So what's going to happen there? Is it going to be permanent? We don't know. And then, had the ritual travel into the dreamscape, cast on top of that. So it's which like... is well, which is known because I'd spotted it two years previously on the wiki. I mean, I'm not going into details of which ritual it is. Sure. Um, but sometimes people don't come back from it. And in fact, there's a little out-of-character note that says, if you want to retire your character this way, just go and tell PD. So I thought, well, putting the Loudream together with this 
magic ritual. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Like a religious, massive DMT drop, and you're just blasting yourself into the... Yes. Forever after. No one knows. No No one knows, not even me, because John, who plays you, and I, we'd given PD... Well, we gave him 24 hours notice, you know, just to say we might be going to do this. We're probably going to do this. And then Saturday night at time out, we walked up to the Mac Cave and said, we've done it. We've pressed the button. And we never want to know what the truth is. So is there... We're not coming back. We've retired. But nobody knows. Is there a body? There is no body. Right. What happened in the morning? Simon, Simon Severin was there, so so he can t- he can explain what what happened in the House of Seven Mirrors on that Sunday morning. Severin was the last person to see Hart and the Imperatrix. Saw them go into the, the Prince's chamber of the tent, and was there in the morning with the rest of our group, uh, plus a few others, I think, to unlace that tent and you know usher them out. Unlace the tent nobody there and at which point you start bringing everybody else into what is going on i think some of our group were made a little nervous by the fact that matt pennington was there in a ref tabard at 10 o'clock on the sunday morning, morning. <laughs> uh so they discovered um there were no bodies utah staff was left uh, behind yep. with a permanent um hallowing, hallowing on it, on it. Um, much investigation much then investigation then we had the Archimage of Day and the uh, Archimage of Autumn uh, in there doing various investigations and to be honest it was like watching a very large rock fall into quite a small pond and the ripple you could see the ripples going across the field as the news propagated the Empress is gone Nobody knows where she is it's all a massive mystery the Empress is gone and watching that fly out over the field was brilliant I I think that that that, like I was very much aware of that and like at the time we didn't know if you were coming back there was a loads of like questions lots and lots of questions Uh, sorry what was what you were saying no I was saying saying, so it wasn't it then didn't become clear until because we were waiting on on PD to determine what happened you know like how they would play it Um, and so the Upshot was, the you know the the ruling at at the September event was, the egregores can no longer determine, can't feel the bond. So the Vrushkin egregore couldn't feel Yuha, and the League egregore couldn't feel Lizabetta. Which means, are they dead? Are they not dead? Still, nobody knows. But they no longer count as imperial citizens. Therefore, the Empress is deemed to have resigned. Yeah, and I think that was the thing that that was the conclusion was that people were like, well, it doesn't matter if she comes back, she'll need to be re-elected even if she does. And that kind of gave a little bit of closure to it. Um, How did that feel? Like, can you remember? Oh, totally, totally. Because it's taken me the best part of four years to recover from the absolute all-encompassing, you know, like experience that, that, playing the throne has been um, actually can I just take a step back and say one of the one of the personal reasons it was just too much 
Mm. It got to the stage where I woke up in the morning and she was there in my head. And she'd got ideas and she wanted to talk to Severin about it. And the absolute most difficult thing to deal with was 11 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday going through the gate because she felt, I felt, that one of the things that the Empress needed to be was there watching all the heroes of Anvil go through the gate. And it just become increasingly harder and harder and harder to feel all these people going through and knowing that some of them weren't going to come back again and feeling responsible for it. So it's always very finely balanced. It's such an experience, but it's such a finely balanced on whether it is fun because you put a hell of a lot in and you get a hell of a lot out, but it it was just too much. It was taking over my life. So how did I feel after that? I had an absolutely dreadful E4 just because I had to play another character and there were some lovely, lovely people in the civil service, you know, who said, yes, come be a civil servant and no, you know, like blame to anybody, but it was just so odd because all my friends were still there and they were all dealing with the aftermath of the throne being gone and I felt very alone and on the outside. And then COVID came along mm. because that was September yep. 2019 and then we didn't play for two years. So that was the thing. So that just, did it sit on you? No, it gradually, it just gradually ebbed away. So I really couldn't talk about her yeah, I certainly didn't want to say her name, just in case she turned up again, mm. for quite a long time. Mm. And it's been all right for about a year now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think there's... Um, so almost like this needs to be a process for aftercare and those sort of things, right? Like, um, it's one of the things that I went to a couple of um, uh, European, more... Nordic mm. style LARPs. Uh, one of them I went to had a very good system of kind of like an opt-in where there was a separation from you and your character, um, which was very good. Um, and it sounds like that would have been quite helpful to you at the time. But I, I've had like, yeah, weird sensations with loss of character. And I can't even imagine what it must be like because it's, from the sounds of things, it builds up into a point where it's something that's always with you and you're thinking about and planning and you spend so much time and energy doing you're you're literally making neurons in your brain that think that way it right? all runs on the same hardware doesn't it <laughs> yeah. I, I mean i think it's personal responsibility to deal with that and i think there's also qualitative difference between playing one-offs where you can put it down and then playing at this intensity at a fest event which goes on and on so Simon, what, how did you experience it? What in terms of you going? Yeah, um, it was very odd afterwards. I mean, the the end of the story was great, but uh, the aftermath and then letting things settled. I I was glad to exit Severin a little while after having achieved things I wanted to achieve with him, with your help. I was quite glad to get rid of him as well for quasi-similar reasons because just the level of intensity. 
So the, one of the things that we've actually chosen to do based on that experience is if we can play long-lived LARP characters, we've designed our current characters from the other way around. What do we want to feel like after an event and going into it? So we're playing a couple of cinnamon rolls, to be honest. Mm. You know, like we, we, are, we are nice, sweet, happy, happy people. couple. Yeah. Because especially in the current environment, you know, like what's... We're on to... The world, right? Hobbit LARP is great. <laughs> Hobbit LARP is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. It's... Um, I think trying to... Like, I think you mentioning um, uh, Second Breakfast is a, is, a, is a good thing because it um, Second Breakfast was illuminating for me in a bunch of different ways, which is LARP doesn't need to involve conflict. It doesn't need to involve violence. It doesn't need to involve uh, political wrangling. Um, it can just be you having a lovely time and, and being a bit silly in the forest. And it was, it was such a nice, especially after the LARP I went to in um, Prague, which was very heavy um but yeah i think like and i i feel you i, I like the i've I, I went from being ambassador which was like being hit with a stick everywhere i went and then now i'm a senator and I'm, i haven't been hit by a stick yet but i feel like sticks are ready to beat me um <laughs> uh i did say though that i'm only gonna, i'm only gonna do a year because I, I like just for my own mental health and for other players and all of those things like there's a lot of different reasons i'm going to do it for a year i'm going to give it my 100 percent for a year and then i'm going to step back and i i think the idea of just going around and being happy at anvil sounds absolutely but, brilliant but we neither of us have any regrets no. at all what an extraordinary experience and and how great it is that pd have got this system that 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 they will trust a PC to have the top position. Mm-hmm. I think it's the coronation ranks as one of the, my you know as, as yeah, my number one the coronation unique experience. It's great. It what was, was that like? Sad. What was the process? Well, firstly, there was no process. So Harry Harold, who plays John of Mead. He took it upon himself to work out what the process was going to be. So he wrote it, you know, like, said, is this all right? Uh, and I think one of the things he's proudest about, he's proudest about, it ran to time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so they, PD built this, this, these stands, and thankfully it didn't rain, and it was a summer, summer event, and... The first thing that Elizabeth did was be escorted on a progress, you know, like round all the the nations. Um, do you know it went? It's like wedding days. It went through in a blur. What happened then? There was a ring. Wasn't uh, well, there? there was. You took a ring to the empire, yes. uh, which was my little bit. The of course, the key thing about the coronation. Oh, the key what? thing of coronation is about two hours before the coronation. Uh, the civil servants, including John, turned up and said, um, "We've got something to tell you, your your your, your empressness. Um, would you like to get? Would you like to either postpone the coronation, or would you like to get crowned with this um, duplicate fake crown that we could borrow off the Printers Guild?" Because somebody's nicked the crown. <laughs> Fair play. It was a superb piece yeah, of play. Brilliant, brilliant heist. 
fantastic well done then um so i thought quickly because i do think and looked around and my eye fell upon a vase and i said i will get crowned using a wreath made of flowers woven by the children of the empire genius right you are when i think Kelowa and went off to the academy and organised children of and then how brilliant is that yeah but even if it's terrible you can be like what are you dissing the kids and their hard work it's genius it's a and you get kids you get then get kids into the into the ceremony and it was fantastic and also frankly having stuck that crown on my head you know like the year previously I was so grateful that I've never had to wear that crown (laughs) thank you for stealing my crown thank you for stealing the crown and and thank you to the Sumar and for not getting it back before I stopped playing Elizabeth. And also, Harry then, you know, came up with the epithet. Right, she's the, the Empress of Flowers. So that was a whole thing. Oh, shit! That's yes. why. Of course, that then doomed me to <laughs> having to go to Asda on the morning of, like, driving down to, to the event to collect some flowers so that I could have fresh flowers in vases in the imperial offices and in the tent because that oh, and, just... a, and a fresh flower crown every and event that's... oh you are what I would have gone completely fake like 100% like sometimes uh... I went fake but sometimes you know excellence really matters yeah no yeah and that's why I'll never be uh, the throne um is there any sort of closing thoughts that you want to kind of go into um, while you've while you're here and got the platform and kind of want to? I was just thinking. What it takes. Personal resilience. You know, emotional resilience. There is no position in empire that assaults your emotional resilience quite as much as this one and it's the game deliberately is not set up it's set up for pvp and then you're at the pinnacle and kind of it's your responsibility to make sure that the whole circus doesn't fall apart even if it isn't your responsibility no it is your responsibility really and out of most of the player base, maybe a few people know what you actually do. Most people don't. A load of people think you're an NPC. Yeah. Um, and there isn't any, there isn't that much feedback that you're doing a good job. So you need to either find it within yourself or, as I did, have a fantastic group of people around me who picked me up when I looked as if I was faltering. Would you say it's given you or developed hard skills that you've used in other aspects of your life? I think that I am a better leader at work now. What it has done is it... Actually, maybe this is what I should end up. I used to have to take two days off after every empire because if I went back into work... (laughs) the following day or even the second day uh, any any meeting I went into I would automatically plonk myself at the head of the table and start making decisions <laughs> I love it I love it okay um, we've got um, uh, to thank our patrons who um, I thought I've, I've been lucky enough to drive down to North London um, and patrons help out help me um, spend some money on petrol um, we'll, we'll do two you can each roll a d10 each 
That's a one. Um, that is Stefan. Thank you very much, Stefan Velvi. Velev. Velev. What a lovely name, Stefan Velev. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a two. two. That's Simon a two. is telling me that's a two. I don't get to yelp. I rolled a twenty. Um, that is. Hold on. That is Elliot Goddard. Thank you, Elliot, so much um, for helping support us. Um, we usually end episodes with some sort of like epitaph or a, a, a phrase. Is there anything that you maybe? Please, please go ahead. After well, you, you should say it. It was your phrase. What must we forego? In order to do what we want, you've got to make choices. What must we forego? In order to do this job, what we forego? <laughs> it's like doing anything else for three and a half years. But it was worth it.